Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is a beautiful day in Columbus, Georgia to worship God. I know as we inch into the fall, we are looking for some relief from our heat-soaked lives. And in the same way, I invite you to open yourself to the refreshing and renewing power of God's Holy Spirit. We're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first scripture lesson is Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, starting with verse 1 and continuing on with verses 4 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The word of the Lord. So for those of y'all who don't know, my name is Aaron Licklider. I'm obviously not Pastor Danny Deeth. I'm the director of youth ministry here at First Prez. Uh, and I'm so excited to be here with y'all this morning. Uh, it's my first time preaching here at the church and I've been anxiously awaiting the opportunity to do so. And uh, I just, I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you so much for being here today. Um, but before we get into the meat of the sermon, I feel like I need to 
build some rapport with y'all because I'm, I'm familiar with the people that are sitting up in the balcony. There's a couple of you down here, but that's mostly because I deal with the teenagers around here. So, so, that I can, so that we can get to know each other a little bit more, let me share a little bit about myself. Um, probably the most important thing that you need to know is the fact that I'm not from the South. I'm not from Georgia, right? I was born in the Midwest. Uh, I was born in a small town called Wheaton, Illinois. Um, and the Midwest is great. Don't let, don't let anybody tell you any different. I love it there. It's home. Uh, we've got great things. Um, we went to Culver's over the summer for the first time for some of y'all. They've got great frozen custard in the Midwest, but they're moving down here. There's one in Phoenix City, actually. Um, we've got killer casseroles. All right, y'all, you gotta eat hearty if you're gonna live up north, right? So casseroles on another level. Um, we've got distinct seasons, right? So the leaves change. There's a chill in the air when it comes to the wintertime and the fall. The leaves fall to the ground. You need to wear a sweater, not just in the morning. You have to wear it all day because it actually stays cold. It doesn't spike back up to 83 degrees in the middle of the afternoon. Um, we've got basketball. We've got football. Go Irish. Let's go Notre Dame. Um, and last but not least, we've got this stuff. So in the wintertime, it gets real cold, right? And there's this white stuff that falls down from the sky and it collects on the ground. It's cold. It's, depending on the humidity, it might be damp. It might be dry. Who knows? Uh, we call that stuff snow. Uh, I know that that's a foreign concept for y'all down here. Uh, we get like a foot and a half to two feet up north and it's, it's the best. Um, you get to go outside and play in it. We have to shovel it, move it with vehicles because life goes on when we get snow up north. We're expected to figure it out. Um, I was born in Wheaton, Illinois, like I said, to uh, two Hoosiers themselves, uh, Craig and Lisa Licklider, my parents. Uh, love them both dearly. My little sister, Anna, uh, miss her. Um, and Hoosiers is a name that we assign to people from the great state of Indiana, right? It's not just a movie about basketball. Uh, and in fact, I want to take a second. I've got a couple of Hoosiers that are watching from back home, and I want to say I love you all. Thank you so much for supporting this church and the things that we do here. Uh, we love you dearly. But when I lived in Wheaton, it was a small town, a sleepy little Midwestern town with a nice little college in there. Um, and I was able to walk from my house to my elementary school. I was able to walk from my house to my best friend's house. He was just down the street uh, where we would play uh, on his N64, we'd build Legos, trade Pokemon cards, run around and play in our tree houses in the backyards. Knew just about everybody that was in our neighborhood and in our community. And when I turned eight years old, the summer of 2000, we moved. Uh, my family moved from Illinois to New Jersey. And there was a little bit of culture shock there. Uh, going from the, the sleepy little Midwest town to all of a sudden you're in the hustle and bustle of the tri-state area, not too far outside of New York City and Philadelphia. Uh, and it was a struggle. It was a struggle for me. Um, the pace of life is very different. Things are moving 100 miles an hour. People have things to do and people to see. Um, not a whole lot of conversation happening in the, in the grocery store or waiting in line while you're, uh, well, you don't pump your, you don't pump your own gas in New Jersey. They pump it for you. But people don't really talk to one another uh, all the same. And so I found myself struggling a little bit uh, with this move. I found myself in a community that was foreign and an environment that was very different and had some stark contrast compared to where it was that I had lived previously. And uh, believe it or not, eight-year-old Aaron running around with a buzz cut, 
big old tortoise shell glasses and uh, general social anxiety, was struggling a little bit with finding a tribe, finding, finding friends. Um, not because I was weird, Walker. It's because sort of like Columbus, uh, New Jersey is a, is a place where people come and go uh, quite frequently, especially in the community that we lived in. Um, like I said, it's very close to New York City and Philadelphia, so people will come into town so that they can be close to the central office in the city. They'll do their, their thing there for a brief period of time, and then they'll move on to wherever it is that their career takes them next. Not all that dissimilar from what happens here in Columbus with folks at Fort Benning. We have folks that come into the life of our church that are here for brief periods of time, and then they move on. And as a young kid at eight years old, that was hard um, because I, all of a sudden I had left behind the support structure of friends and family and the people I had grown up with. Um, I was struggling in New Jersey because I was no longer at home. You see, the, the scripture reading that I just shared with y'all just a minute ago uh, is connected to the story that I'm sharing with you. Um, Jeremiah is a prophet and he's writing to the Israelite people uh, who find themselves in a not all that dissimilar situation. They've been forced from their homes into the enemy empire of Babylon. The text from Jeremiah is, is all about the current circumstances that they find themselves in. They've got bigger fish to fry than just finding friends and adapting to a new school environment. You see, the Israelites are facing tremendous loss at this point in time. Not only have they been forced from their homes, their homes have been completely destroyed. Jerusalem, the pride and joy of this community has been sacked by the Babylonians and removed effectively uh, from the splendor and honor that it had held for, for years previously. The temple was ruined. The people's homes were gone. Many of their family members and friends had been ripped from their sides. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. You see, the prophet Jeremiah is writing to the Israelites during this time, and he's got a message for them, a message that is important for them to hear because they are struggling. Not all, not all that different from eight-year-old Aaron's struggles. Um, and as, as I said, Jeremiah is a prophet, and I've been the beneficiary of a handful of prophets throughout the course of my life. And on this specific instance, when I came home from school one day, uh, and was exceptionally upset about my struggle to find my place in Plainsboro, New Jersey. Uh, I came home and I complained to my mom and my mom operated as a prophetess uh, of sorts. She, uh, she had a good word for me. Um, and much like the Israelites, I was not too excited to receive it at that point in time, but she had a message for me. Despite my frustration and my anxiety and my stress and really my my longing for a thing that I had lost, my mom told me that I needed to make a choice. She said that I needed to decide what I wanted to do. I could choose to either be miserable and continue to mourn the loss of all the people that I had left behind, the community that I had once been a part of that had been taken from me so terribly by my parents and moving out east, or I could choose to live into the promise of a future with new memories and new friendships and new opportunities. I don't think that my mom understood that she was speaking a message of significant weight at that point in time, nor 
do I think that she recognized the similarities between her message to eight-year-old me uh, compared to the words that Jeremiah had for the Israelites uh, in the text that we're reading this morning? And I definitely know that she didn't bank on it being sermon fodder 21 years later, but here we are. So the Israelite people are upset. They've lost a whole lot. They find themselves in uncertain times. It's a difficult place to be. And here comes the prophet Jeremiah with the word of God, which we find again in verse four. Listen for the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I have sent from Jerusalem into Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. All right, Jeremiah's got a, a nice healthy message for his people. Jeremiah is calling for his people to get ready for a long haul. This isn't gonna be a short trip into Babylon. They're gonna need to set up shop and put down roots because they're gonna be there for a minute. Jeremiah's message is calling the Israelites not only to make the most of their current situation, he's calling them to make a new home outside of their original home a foreign land, one that's occupied by one might call an evil empire of sorts. They're called to eat and drink and marry and give in marriage. They're to plant gardens and start businesses. They're to work for their own welfare by working for the welfare of the place that they find themselves in, no matter how counterintuitive that may seem. Jeremiah isn't calling for the people to just get by. He's not inviting them to stew and bide time until the appropriate moment to resist and uh, begin an uprising. No, he's telling them to flourish where they are. He affirms this by telling his people that they are to pray. And they're supposed to pray a special prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer that recognizes the faithfulness of God. How many of y'all upstairs ever been picked on? Brothers, sisters, siblings, parents give you a hard time ever? Yeah, trip? Is grandma giving you a hard time? <laughs> All the time. I got some hands up there. I appreciate it. So I was trying to think of a, of a correlation between what Jeremiah is asking the Israelites to do uh, and something that y'all might relate to and, and certainly us as a congregation might relate to. In middle school, middle school is the worst time of life. I, 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 yep, I know. It gets better, I promise. Um, middle school is the worst because you're so stressed out all the time about what everybody else is thinking about you. And I distinctly remember having struggles with a, a, a student, a peer of mine, that made my life just that much more difficult, right? They picked on me. They gave me a hard time. Mostly they made fun of my glasses that I already hated. It was, it was miserable. So for y'all upstairs in the balcony, Jeremiah is asking the Israelite people to effectively pray for that bully, right? Jeremiah is inviting them to uh, seek out thanksgiving and, and rejoicing in not only a difficult situation that they find themselves in, being in, a, in a, an enemy-controlled territory, um, but also to be thankful for God's faithfulness. Um, and I don't know about you, but 
I don't think that the Israelites had much to be thankful for at this point in time. But Jeremiah had reason to do so. You see, we had an example from Psalm 111. It's the first scripture reading. Thank you so much, Miss Charlotte, for reading that for us this morning. Um, Psalm 111 serves as a reminder. It's a, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's a, it's a, it's a song that remembers the, the faithfulness of God through the history of the Israelite people. You see, the psalmist in Psalm 111 is rejoicing over God's niflaoth. Didn't think you were gonna get a Hebrew lesson today, did you? Uh, niflaoth is the Hebrew word for wondrous deeds or miracles. And the psalmist outlines three specific examples of God's niflaoth throughout the history of the Israelite people. Um, specifically, the psalmist references um, uh, God's provision of food for the Israelite people. Think manna from heaven and quail to support the people as they wander through the desert. We're talking in the inheritance of nations. The Israelite people inherit the promised land, the, man, the land of milk and honey, the place where they would go and prosper for ages to come. And then finally, the deliverance of the Israelites. You see, it's the entire history of the book of Exodus. The Israelite people are oppressed under the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt and those people escape and they run and God delivers them through the oppression, through the slavery that they had experienced for generations. God delivers them into the promised land. God delivers them from the wilderness, brings them into the promise that he has uh, dedicated to them. The psalmist is providing a call to remember the duty that the Israelite people have to respond to God's faithfulness through praise and adoration for God's actions and also through righteous living. It's the same call that Jeremiah is making here in chapter 29, one that we can all hear and implement in our own lives. Just as the Israelites, we may find ourselves facing situations or uh, circumstances that are uncomfortable, problems that we create ourselves. We may even find ourselves in foreign lands uh, that we, we have not anticipated being guided towards. In spite of all of these things, we're all called to the same course of action. We're called to pray to the universal God who rules over all people and all places at all times. We must be faithful because God is with us just as much in Babylon as in Jerusalem, in New Jersey, and here in Columbus. Now, I don't think that the Israelites were anticipating this message from Jeremiah. I think it's safe to say that they were anticipating uh, a good word in regards to their soon uh, to come deliverance from the oppression of the Babylonians uh, or a story of a, of a Messiah that's going to come and it's going to, that person is going to ride in a white, on a white horse and deliver them into their home once again. But obviously that's not what Jeremiah does here. Jeremiah provides more. He asks more of his people. Jeremiah invites the people to pray for their captors. Jeremiah provides a word that can shift our focus if we look at it today in our current context that might shift our focus from God bless America to God bless everyone. Jeremiah goes on to call the people, the Israelites. He tells them to seek the welfare of the city of Babylon and to pray to the Lord on its behalf. It's the heart of the gospel, 
right there, all the way in the Old Testament. It's good news for great joy that will be for all people. Words that come later on as well, for God so loved the whole world, not just the Israelites. Jeremiah is asking the people to think outside of themselves, to find something to lift up rather than the current situation that they find themselves in. Jeremiah takes this request and he pushes it even further. He invites the, 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 the Israelites to pray for the Babylonians, specifically for the captors themselves and for the city, as we identified in the, in the previous verses. It's an unreasonable ask, don't you think? To pray for somebody who has ruined your home, taken things from you, taken your home, your family, your loved ones. But Jeremiah's request is not, it's not the only one that we get that sounds uh, difficult at times. I wanna remind you of some words that are spoken uh, by a, a homeless traveling teacher in the New Testament. Uh, goes by the name of Jesus. Find those words in Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. You see, Jeremiah is calling for a paradigm shift that Jesus would flesh out and call his followers as well as us to make ourselves. One more thing about me. Um, choir, for those of you that were here with us this morning, Miss Charlotte and those of you who are getting a second dose of the sermon today, this was not in the first service, so bear with me. I love a show called Friday Night Lights. Is anybody familiar? Yeah, I, I see some hands, I see some smiles. Uh, Friday Night Lights is a great show. It's uh, based off of a book um, and was made into a movie with Billy Bob Thornton. Now today I wanna focus specifically on the TV show because it's fantastic and I can't recommend it, recommend it enough. So the show is about the Dillon Panthers, which is a high school football team down in Texas, right? And the show opens telling the story of coach Eric Taylor, who's taking over the team. And he's got a young promising quarterback coming in. He's a, a senior, it's a senior year. He's a highly touted individual, very good football player. He's got scouts that have been coming to check him out. He's gonna go on and play at the collegiate level. There's even conversation about how he might do at the pro level as well. And the show continues to go on, takes us to the first game of the season. This quarterback's name is Jason Street. Jason's playing well in the first game of the season. The offense is firing on all cylinders. There's high fives, people are smiling. We're really excited to be here. The season is opening the way that it's supposed to. And suddenly there's a shift. Jason drops back to pass and calls for the ball and he gets hit, sacked and knocked to the ground. And all of a sudden he's looking up at the dark uh, night sky in Texas. And as the episode continues on, we come to find out that Jason has been paralyzed from the waist down and he's lost significant motor function in his arms and specifically in his hands completely ruining his aspirations to play football at a higher level, ruining his opportunity to have an excellent senior season. His entire life is suddenly shifted and completely changed in an instant. It'd be understandable, or I think we could all relate for Jason to get upset, to be a little bit frustrated. 
And he does. Of course, he mourns the loss. But similar to eight-year-old Aaron, Jason is uh, forced to make a decision, forced to decide whether or not he wants to continue to live in misery and frustration or whether or not he wants to seize the new opportunities that are before him. Jason continues on. He coaches up young quarterback, young freshman, Matt Saracen, uh, works with him on the sidelines and invests in that young man, and they do tremendous things. They go on to play at the highest level uh, in, in Texas state football, uh, going on to, to win multiple championships after the fact. Jason continues on and has a, a tremendous uh, paraplegic basketball career. And finally, Jason becomes a tremendous professional football sports agent, uh, advocating for the athletes that he once was. I think there's a lot that we can learn from Jason's story because once again, it's similar to the story of eight-year-old Aaron when he comes home and complains to his mom and it's similar to the story of the Israelites. We're faced with a choice. We're faced with the opportunity to decide whether or not we want to make the most of our circumstances or if we want to just sit in the muck and in the mire and be sad. So here we are. 2,000 some odd years later. I don't know about you, but I don't personally find myself under the oppressive thumb of an empire regime at the moment. But I do find myself getting frustrated with leaders throughout the world, whether they be our own or those, those here uh, locally. I get frustrated with, with other circumstances, with the problems that I see around me, with the multiple injustices that exist around us. I'm sure that y'all can identify those and, and may even have some more personal experiences than I have based on my privilege. We're all presented with similar opportunities as the Israelites and Jeremiah or the decision that the eight-year-old Aaron had along with Jason Street. We can choose to live in misery or bitterness, waiting on change to make its way to us, or we can choose to live into the wonderful life-giving mission that God has laid out for us. We can seek out opportunities to love our community, seeking out chances to serve the impoverished, house the homeless, clothe, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, take care of the injured and the ill, love those who are the least of these, the orphan and the widow. I believe that the choice is clear. I believe that if we choose this path, we have the opportunity to change the world. Let's listen to the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Let us love our neighbors. Let us live into the good news. Let's be faithful in our living so that we can be examples of God's love and God's kingdom in action. Amen.